it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Uh, This is the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it is uh, Wednesday, which means armchair politics is coming up in just a little bit, and... uh, before that, we're going to talk with uh, economist Chris Douglas, who joins me by phone. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. Hey, if I lose you again, call me right back. We'll, we'll keep it going somehow. Okay, will do. Anyway, um, of course, the, uh, the voting is all done, but the counting is still underway, leaving us in kind of uh, uncertain territory. And as you've said many times on the show... Uh, the stock market does not like uncertain territory. Yeah, that's right. Although the stock market is up a little bit today, Dow futures are up 146 points. So um, it looks like the market is foreseeing this election being wrapped up maybe more quick, quickly than what we thought last night. It's hard to know. Uh, the market certainly rallied last night when it looked like the president was going to win. Uh, betting markets had him at, a, at about an 80% favorite until he lost the state of Arizona. Um, So the market has lost some of those gains because the election results got a lot more uncertain after that happened. But the fact that the market is up right now means that perhaps there's some certainty in the near future. That it'll be resolved or that it will be Donald Trump? Um, I think that'll be resolved. It's hard to know one way or the other, of course, with Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan still out there. And apparently Nevada is too close to call. But I would suspect the market is is just thinking that the election will be um, resolved, not necessarily for one candidate versus the other. Although right now it looks like Biden's the favorite. Betting markets have Biden as about a 70% favorite right now. So it's been quite a swing from about 10 o'clock last night to 9 o'clock this morning. And and of course that has to do with the uh, the counting of uh, 
the absentee ballots and early voting and and the different kinds of pe- uh, voting that people did because of the pandemic and uh it's it's delaying the counts a little bit and the counts that are coming in tend to be the ones that favor democrats yeah that's right although there are reports out there that there's a number of ballots still in trump heavy townships in michigan um, a reporter on Twitter posted that there's about 50,000 outstanding votes in Macomb and Shelby Township that have to be counted yet. So it's not clear if all of the ballots out there, or even a sizable majority of the ballots out there, are for Democrat-heavy uh, areas. Although it does seem seem like it's the case, both for this election and the previous elections, that the last votes coming in tend to be in urban areas um, that heavily favor Democrats, like the city of Detroit that votes over 90% for the Democratic candidate. So it's not really clear why that is. Um, It's a little bit disconcerting that a nation like the United States that's so wealthy and technologically advanced can't count ballots in a more rapid fashion. Um, I think it leads to mistrust of the electoral process, especially when you have wild swings in the predicted outcome, where you're going from, you know, Trump is an 80% favorite, um, last night, after being about a 30% favorite going into the day, and now he's back to a 30% favorite. Um, at an era, era where the co- country is divided, there's lots of mistrust, it's just not a great look. Um, it would be better if the U.S. was more efficient in how it tabulated and counted its votes. Now, did I see that the, the Chinese yen tanked overnight? Yeah, so when Trump was rallying on the betting markets... Um, the Chinese yuan was decreasing because if Trump would win, he'd probably take a harder line to China than Biden would, which would depress demand for the Chinese currency. Uh, if Trump, if a Trump victory results in more tariffs for China, um, maybe an escalation, and not what I would call a trade war, but more of a trade dispute. Well, if imports from China fall as a result, that would depress the demand for the Chinese currency, which is the yuan which would cause the currency to lose value in the market. So I think that's what the currency market was responding to last night. I haven't checked this board to see if it's regained um, those losses now that Biden is the favorite. It would be interesting um, if it has it, though, because what that would suggest is the market has perhaps a different expectation um, than what the betting markets have or what even political commentators have. Um, I think most political commentators this morning are forecasting a narrow Biden win. Um, gift of what we're seeing with Wisconsin and Michigan. Um, the president losing Arizona, that makes the road for him much more difficult. He needs to win Pennsylvania and then either Wisconsin or Michigan on top of that. And with Michigan and Wisconsin so close right now, it appears that a good chunk of the votes left to counter are these urban Democratic areas. You know, that reduces the president's odds. So it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts um, going forward today. What? perhaps more of those voted, votes get counted, and if the Chinese yuan regains some of its overnight losses. Why does um, why do the markets, not just here but abroad, um, care who who wins a, a presidential election? It, is it purely about policy? Yeah, I think it is purely about policy. It's- purely about um, stability, both economic stability and, given 2020, social stability. 
So the Chinese currency is reacting to uh, future trade policy. Uh, China will probably find an easier line taken by a Biden administration than a Trump administration. So it's reacting to that. I don't know if there's been much movement in the overnight markets for like the British pound or the euro. Um, certainly, if there's a contested election and there's uncertainty going into December, you know, like a year 2000 on steroids, I think you'd probably see the dollar start to decline in overnight currency markets just because that political instability might lead to some economic instability. So I think when you're talking about currency markets as well as the stock market, uh, they're reacting to stability plus uh, future economic policy. And then what what does the market need to see? Do they just need to see that, that someone is in place to readjust and and move forward or will it impact how they move forward depending on who it is yeah i think the market needs to see a clear winner for it to stabilize and then i think once a clear winner has been determined i think the future market uh, movements will depend on what the market thinks that winner is going to do so it's not really clear what biden will do if he wins um, there's a school of thought thinking that he's going to usher in another shutdown, perhaps this winter, if the cases start to rise again. So certainly if there's another shutdown, that's going to tank the market again. So that's a potential mar- market movement in the downward direction. While on the other hand, so I'll do the economy, I'm going to give you three three hands now. On the other hand, a Biden win might mean a more generous um, COVID stimulus plan. Um, the second stimulus plan has been tied up in the House and the Senate. Uh, but if Biden would win, you'd have the support of the House and the president for probably another $2 trillion in COVID stimulus spending, um, including a trillion dollars in direct aid to state and local governments. That seems to be the tie-up with the stimulus plan right now. The Republicans don't want to give that aid to state and local governments, but the House does. Um, so I think Biden would be on board with that. If the Senate was on board, too, you know, that injection of $2 trillion into the economy would probably cause a market rally. Um, the hiccup to that is, here's the third the third hand, is that the Senate is going to be Republican uh, by all appearances after the election. So you're going to have divided government, um, which makes perhaps, you know, that second COVID stimulus less likely. So all that is to say, it's really hard to know how the market is going to react moving forward if Biden is declared the winner. Now, if Trump is declared the winner, we kind of know what to expect because it's just status quo. Democratic House, Republican Senate, and a Republican president. It's just probably a repeat of the first 11 months of 2020. Well, hopefully not a complete repeat. Well, yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, Just kind of averaging everything out, right? We had two good months, um, January and February, the two kind of lousy months, March and April. And then things kind of seem to stabilize a little bit in the summer and the fall. You kind of average all that out, and I think that's what we could expect for um, 2021 if the president is able to find a way through. Now, we've everybody's been really focused on the election. Of course, the uh, um, final votes were cast yesterday, um, and, and we've been all caught up in the campaigns and all that for the last uh, several weeks. But um, the the pandemic itself is starting to show signs of increasing uh, 
cases and numbers around the country. Um, Anthony Fauci called it uh, a resurgence of the of the first wave. Um, some people have referred to it as the beginning of a second wave. Um, how does how does that activity impact the market, or or does it? It impacts the market in the sense of will a second or a third wave, and I'm somewhat skeptical that we're really seeing second or third waves, but that's what everyone's calling it, so we could go with it. Um, and it just really depends on if an increase in cases leads to another shutdown. I think everything hinges on whether or not the economy is going to be shut down in January or February uh, if Biden becomes president. I think if Trump becomes president, there's no economic shutdown. But if there's any sort of economic shutdown, a repeat of, of March or April, that's just going to be completely devastating to the U.S. economy. So I think that's what's relevant for COVID in terms of the economy. And I'm not sure cases are a good way to measure um, the severity of COVID, because what really matters, I think, is fatalities plus hospital utilization. So if we get a big uptick in cases, but it's hitting a younger population, because it seems like the first wave of cases kind of swept through the 70-plus demographic, where you had the, the situations like the nursing home in Washington, which led to a large number of fatalities. Well, if the, if the more recent cases are younger people, more middle-aged people, they have a much higher likelihood of surviving without needing hospitalization. Well, perhaps an uptick in cases then could be dealt with without shutting down the economy, um, which the market will react favorably to. Um, Chris, I have to go to break here in uh, just about a minute and a half. And, and I want to dig in some more to what is actually going on with the market when it's reacting to things, whether it's uh, COVID or an election um, or just numbers that are released from various uh, government agencies. Um, can you stick around and, and we'll talk some more? Sure, sounds good. Okay, my guest is uh, Chris Douglas, uh, an economist from the University of Michigan Flint. He joins us uh, on the first Wednesday of every month. And uh, this uh, happens to be the day after an election, so we'll be talking about the impact of the election on the economy, certainly. And, of course, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the election when we assemble our roundtable armchair politics coming up at the top of the hour with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, for uh, this week's uh, commentary and analysis on... on uh, local, state, and national news and current events. And, of course, the big current event is the election, which is uh, still being counted as we speak. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, pearly gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and eleven others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is economist uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. And we're uh, actually kind of talking about the economy in a uh, post-election context, although the election technically is still going on. The voting is all done, but the counting continues. Uh, Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Chris, did I lose you? Oh, sorry, Doug. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, yeah, I accidentally hit mute on my phone. I apologize for that. <laughs> no worries. Glad you're still with us. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, um, you're welcome. <clears throat> in in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about how the markets can become a little volatile over elections. And, and we've seen some of that um, here in the U.S. And, and also in China. I haven't really looked at any of the other markets. I, I suppose you have. But um, I, I guess what I really would like to understand better is what is actually happening when the market fluctuates over an event like an election? So markets are a forward-looking expectation about economic activity. So they're forecasting the future, in a sense. So if there is instability with regards to an election, if it goes through a period where it's contested, going through the court system, kind of like a Florida 2000, but maybe worse in this case, well, then the future is very uncertain. You know, the market doesn't know who to expect is going to be the next president, doesn't know what to expect for Well, it looks like I lost Chris again. He'll uh, he'll call back in a moment, and we can pick it up where he left off. Yeah, hi, Chris. Stand by. There you go, Chris. Are you back with us? Yeah, I'm back with us. I I don't know why my phone service is bad today. Okay, let's let's pick it up where you where we lost you. Okay, sure. Yeah, so the market is forward-looking in terms of uh, what future economic activity is going to look like. So if there is an uncertain presidential election, like what might be the case here? Uh, well, then the market doesn't know what to expect in terms of who's going to be the president, what future economic policy is going to look like. So the market's going to decline as a result. Um, at 10 o'clock last night, when it looked like the president was going to be reelected, well, then things became pretty certain. Um we thought we were going to know who the president was. As a result, we would know what his economic policy would look like. So as a result, you saw the Dow futures and the S&P 500 futures really rally. Um, then all of a sudden, when you got to about the 11 o'clock midnight hour and the president lost Arizona, now his reelection was very less certain. You saw some of that rally taper off. And a lot of that rally was lost because now there's uncertainty who's going to win. Um, Perhaps it's 
more likely that Biden is, is going to win, but his economic policy is less known than what the president's is because we don't have any experience with him. So because of that uncertainty, you know, the market doesn't really know what to expect in the near future. So as a result, some of that rally declined. So you see big market movements where the market's reacting to what they expect uh, the future is going to hold. And you saw that back in March, um, where between mid-March and mid-April, the market declined by about 50% because all of a sudden COVID looked really bad. So COVID's been with us basically since December, or at least it's been with us since that we knew what was going on in China. But it wasn't clear that it was going to make its way to the U.S. Well, what it did by March, it looked like it's going to be really bad. There was going to be a prolonged economic shutdown. The market reacted to that expectation of very difficult economic times ahead by substantially declining. You know, it's a stock market crash, the likes of which we hadn't seen since the financial crisis 10 years ago. And then but fast forward to, oh, yeah, go ahead. Does, does that mean that, that people are taking their money out of the market? Yeah, that's what it means. People are pulling their money out of the market and trying to find a safe haven for it. Um, either holding like U.S. treasuries, because those are thought to be a safe investment to pay a, re- a rate of return. Or what we saw in May was actually people were dumping treasuries to it, just holding physical cash because they thought that was the ultimate safe asset, given the massive amount of uncertainty and also perhaps dire future as a result of COVID. Fortunately, that all settled down by May and June. Um, The case count, um, the daily infection rate, hospital utilization, none of those came in anywhere near what was forecasted as the worst case scenario. So the market reacted to that saying, well, hey, maybe the summer and the fall doesn't look so bad you know, throw in the CARES stimulus that was passed back in March that dumped $2 trillion into the economy. And as a result, the market started to rally, um, given what it perceived as being a better-than-expected future economic outlook. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting because when people talk about investing in the stock market, the first rule is buy low, sell high. But when you look at actual money movements in and out of the market, people do exactly the opposite. They sell when the market's crashing because that's what your emotions tell you to do. And they buy when the market's rising because that's what your emotions tell you to do. So in order to kind of obey that first rule of investing in the stock market, you have to work against your own personal psychology. And that's difficult to to really do. But that appears to be what happens. People buy buy high and they're selling low. And that's uh, it, it. It it's always confusing to me how that all works because um, you hear people say it's best to stay in for the long haul. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, it's it's almost impossible to time the market correctly and thus beat the market. Um, perhaps you had some idea that COVID was really going to be bad that you dumped your stock back in February. That'd be an example of beating the market. But uh, more often than not, it's almost impossible to time the market. So you're better off just investing for the long haul. So the ups average out with the downs, and thus you take advantage of the long-term rise in stock prices that we've seen basically since the end of World War II. Uh, But apparently that's not what happens. Because staying in for the long term means that you have to be okay, you know, logging on to your stock portfolio, 
you know, watching it lose half its value in March and April. You know, that's just a lot for people to have to deal with. And cutting your losses and jumping ship is what your instinct is really telling you to do, even though oftentimes that's the wrong thing to do. Now, are there other markets that are reacting uh, in in ways like China has to the American election? I haven't seen any other markets react to the American election like China. I think the Chinese elect, the Chinese market is a function of you know China has been a focus of the president's attention even before COVID with the trade dispute. And then, of course, after COVID, he's trying to lay the entire blame for COVID on the Chinese. So the fact that his election got more certain, at least for a good portion of last night, meant that China was looking at another four years of this attention by the president. Uh, You can't really think of any other country out there that's had that kind of attention, although there have been tariffs on other countries. There's been tariffs on imports from Canada of all places. I think there's been imports, tariffs on imports from the European Union. But again, nowhere near the attention that China has gotten. So you're not seeing those currency markets react like you are the Chinese currency market. And and then um, what happens going forward? Um, are you anticipating... Um, that we'll know maybe by the end of today, or do you think it will take till uh, Friday, as some uh, predictions have suggested? Well, the Michigan Secretary of State says we might know by midnight tonight. So we might know Michigan. The question is, will we know Pennsylvania and will we know Wisconsin? I think Wisconsin has said it might take until midnight Friday to know. And Pennsylvania, that seems like kind of a mess because they have an extension where I think they let ballots come in three days past election day that still can be counted. And then there's an issue with the postmark on ballots. So for for a mail-in vote to be counted, you have to sign both the envelope and the ballot itself and then match the signatures. Well, that's always a point of contention. What if the signatures don't match? What if someone forgot to sign? What are the signatures? Do you discard the ballot? Legally, I think the answer is yes, but that's always subject to a lawsuit. But in Pennsylvania, there's an issue of the postmark. You know, what if a ballot comes in, but there's an unclear postmark about whether or not it was postmarked before Election Day? Could it be counted? I believe the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said yes. If Pennsylvania is close, well, that's going to probably fight its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. It already did or at least the idea that Pennsylvania could accept ballots more than or three days past Election Day made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court putted on that at a 4-4 decision because Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat hadn't been filled yet. So I would expect that if Pennsylvania is too close to call, and it looks like it's coming down to these mail-in votes being counted three days past Election Day, as well as mail-in votes with an unclear postmark, you know, it's going to go back to the U.S. Supreme Court. And now... Uh, of course, Amy Cody Barrett has filled Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. So you could see the Supreme Court act on that and possibly get another Bush versus Gore 2000. So I think the real key is how quickly do we know Wisconsin and Michigan and that whole Pennsylvania mess doesn't become relevant. 
What other things are impacting uh, the markets? I mean, we we tend to look at these these big headlines, the uh, the coronavirus and the American election, but what what other forces are at work right now? How are tech stocks doing? So tech stocks rallied through COVID because when you're stuck at home, there's not much else to do besides either be on Netflix or order stuff at Amazon.com. Although tech stocks saw a little bit of a rundown over the last week or so. It looked like Apple saw a decline. Um, There were some disappointing sales figures with the new iPhone. Uh, Netflix saw some stock price decline because subscriptions came in less than what was forecasted. They had a big uptick during COVID, so it's kind of hard to match that um, in the third quarter. Um, also, Amazon, of all all stocks, took a hit, too, um, just because Amazon did did very well. The earnings per share were very high during COVID. But when they released their forward guidance for what the end of 2020 and 2021 was looking like, they were kind of like, we have no idea what it's looking like. And getting back to the study of market <clears throat> markets liking certainty, they saw that Amazon, of all people, were very uncertain about what 2020 and 2021 looked like which caused their stock price to, to decline. So the tech stocks are a story of you know an increase during COVID and then a decrease over the last week or so. So I think um, tech stocks play a disproportionate role in the stock indices we always talk about, like the S&P 500. Um, so if the, the tech stocks do well, those indices do well, but if the tech stocks get hammered, like they have fairly recently, well, then you see a decline of those indices, too. What's happening now with the economy on Main Street? It seems like it's improving. So we saw third quarter 2020 GDP numbers come out, or at least the first round of third quarter 2020 GDP numbers. These numbers are always subject to revision. But second quarter was devastating. You have about a 33% decline in GDP. So that's a Great Depression level decline in the course of three months, just completely unprecedented. It took four years during the Great Depression to see an economic decline like that. But third quarter 2020, we saw a 33% increase in GDP. What well, the 33% increase from a smaller base, so that 33% increase doesn't make up for all that was lost in the second quarter. But rather than being 33% down for the year, now the economy is only quote-unquote, only 3.5% down for the year. Maybe 3.5% fewer goods and services are being produced now compared to the end of 2019. So if you think about economic declines, Great Depression, you're talking about a 35% decline to gross domestic product. So the Great Recession 10 years ago, which is a very severe recession, saw about a 3.5% decline to gross domestic product. So we've moved away from Great Depression territory during the summer and the late spring to Great Recession territory right now. So that's a big improvement. Don't get me wrong. Going from Great Depression to Great Recession um, is a big improvement. But the Great Recession, as everyone remembers, was, was really, really bad. So things are still tough for Main Street, although we've seen uh, things improve remarkably over the summer. And are are we going to end up with uh, as many businesses lost as we feared? I think that's an open question. 
Well, certainly if you look at Yelp, um, it's always hard to know how seriously to take Yelp, but you see statistics like 60% of restaurants listed as closed are permanently closed. So I think there's a real fear that we lose a lot of the restaurants uh, just because restaurants are so, is such a tough industry to be in. Um, you need to be running your restaurant at 100% capacity um, day in, day out in order to be breaking even. So restaurant capacity, I believe, in Michigan is limited to about 50%. Um, restaurants can still do takeout, of course, but I don't think takeout is going to make up that 50% lost capacity. So if these capacity restrictions persist into 2021, I think you're really going to see a lot of these restaurants go bankrupt. And it's going to take a long time for new restaurants to step in and take their place. So I think there's a worry that you're going to see that sector of the economy permanently contract. Another sector to keep your eye on is the tourism sector. Uh, airline travel has rebounded a little bit, but it's still only at 40 or 45 percent of 2019 levels. Um, the airline industry is this weird industry that if it's running at 40% capacity, its costs are basically the same as if, as if it's running at 100% capacity because almost all of an airline's cost is the cost of getting the plane up in the air. So that cost is the same if the plane is 40% full versus 100% full, which means any sort of loss of travel like that really hurts the airline's bottom line. You know, they want another $25 billion in aid from the Congress, if they don't get that, I think you could see that industry permanently contract too. You could see some cities perhaps lose their hubs. Um, we saw that after the Great Recession, and then even after um, the 2001 recession, you might see airline consolidation. You see that after recessions too. You know, we have the big four airlines right now, Delta, United, American, and Southwest. You know, you might see it go down to the big three or the big two as they try to consolidate. Um, the reduced um, travel demand. Also, you have to look at resorts. Places like Disney World have gotten really hammered during the pandemic. Disney posted a big loss. So if travel restrictions and social distancing persisted to 2021, you're going to see the tour tourism industry continue to shrink. And then also the arts and entertainment industries perhaps will permanently shrink as well. You know, that's a not insignificant portion of the economy. You're talking maybe 4 to 4.5% 4 of the economy is, is arts and entertainment, things like going to Broadway plays or the movie theater. Well, if you can't do those things through 2021, um, it's not clear that those industries could survive without having any revenue. So those might disappear too. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, the longer the situation persists, the more changes that we thought were temporary back in March and April are going to turn out to be permanent in 2021 and beyond. Well, it's been interesting to see how uh, museums and uh, certain kinds of uh, concert performances and other things have tried to reinvent themselves through virtual experiences online. Is it, is it possible that there's a, a whole new venue for how people are going to uh, consume entertainment? I think it's, yeah, I do think it's very possible, but I don't think it works to benefit our existing entertainment venues. So I think that it's likely that people don't go back to movie theaters, um, that people just stream movies online, and perhaps that's how movies are distributed now. 
So Disney Plus famously distributed um, Mulan, I think is the way you pronounce the movie title. Yeah. Um, uh, Disney Plus rather than um, in the movie theater. So if that becomes the new paradigm, well, then movie theaters don't come back. Um, likewise for like Broadway plays, it's hard it's hard to believe that people would pay, say, $200 a ticket, which is what Broadway plays routinely sell for, to watch a Broadway play, say, on Zoom or live stream on YouTube. Um, same with museums. You have these big, elaborate museums that have huge amounts of fixed costs just keeping the building open and maintaining the exhibits. It's hard to believe that you could get people to pay an admission fee to take a virtual tour of that museum that will be sufficient enough to cover the museum's costs. So I think it's likely that consumer habits change due to COVID, especially with how they consume things like movies. But I think if those habits do change, it really spells bad times for existing entertainment venues. Well, is, um, we just just have a couple of minutes left, Chris, and I, I, I want to ask, is... Is it a good time to get into the market when the market is being volatile? Yeah, it kind of goes back to the idea that you can't time the market. Um, every time, you, whatever you get in the market, so it's almost like a coin flip. You know, the market could go up, the market could go down right after you get in. So if the market um, is tanking, maybe that's a good time to get into the market if you think the market is going to rebound. But if the market is volatile, I don't think that tells you to get in versus get out. I think it gets back to our original point that once you get in, you really got to get in for the long haul. You know, Don't try to time the market because what happens then is you get into the market when it's volatile. You end up getting in when the market's up. Well, then the market goes down because of the volatility. Then you get out. Well, you just bought high and sold low, low and locked in some losses. I don't think there's ever a good versus bad time to get into the market, but I think when you do get into the market, you want to be in there for the long term. We're talking, you know, 15 years plus. Um, because if you go back in history, even like the stock market crash of 1929 at the onset of the Great Depression, then you talk, start talking about like the NASDAQ um, stock market crash around the year 2000 with the tech bubble popping, it takes the better part of 15 to 20 years for the market to regain all those losses. So if you bought at the height of, say, the tech bubble of the year 2000, you know, then you got out of the year 2005, you, know, you locked in some pretty significant losses. So stock market investing, in my opinion at least, should be a long-term thing where you buy every month and then you just don't look at your portfolio if you can't handle seeing it go down. Well, Chris, as always, thanks for spending this time with me. It's always illuminating and um I, I look forward to our next chat, which will be at the beginning of December, and we'll talk about uh, how retail is likely to be doing. Okay, that sounds great. It's always great to be here, and hopefully we'll know who the president is going to be by then, too. <laughs> Good point. Thanks. <laughs> Take You're care. welcome. You too. That was uh, <laughs> Chris Douglas, uh, economist from the University of Michigan, Flint. And uh, we have a short break coming up at the top of the hour. It's uh, Armchair Politics. It's Wednesday. Even though it's the day after election, it's still Armchair Politics, and even more so. We'll be talking with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, about uh, 
the vote yesterday and the ongoing counting, and uh, we'll see what our uh, our political pundits expect uh, to have happen. In the meantime, we're going to let our broadcast partners at uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer 
or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, 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 take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I've been waiting around now for three weeks. <laughs> of course, our apologies. Our next guest is the junior senator from New York. Senator, first we'd like to welcome you here today. We hope this will be a happy interview. No, well, I mean, that's, I don't think that that would be, I doubt if it will be. <laughs> yes, senator is the father of nine children and a devoted family man. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with us here. I'm delighted to see uh, so many grown-ups all in one room. Uh, we continue the questioning with Mr. Swayze. Well, Senator, I wonder if we might switch for just a moment and... Keep the door open. Well, sir, we normally close the door for silence, you understand. I'm in favor of keeping that door open. <laughs> Keep the door open. Thank you very much. Mr. Van Voorhees. Senator, as an out-of-stater, some people have questioned your motives for coming into New York. I grew up here in the state of New York. Well then, obviously it does have meaning for you. What exactly is New York to you and your wife, Ethel? Something that we will hand over to our children. <laughs> Mr. St. Ledger. Uh, now that you're a senator, you must have some very, very exciting and vital things you plan on doing for the people of New York. No, I have no plans. Surely, <laughs> surely Senator, you have some ideas. I just have no plans. <laughs> Well, what do the people of New York need? Well, I think you'd have to ask them. <laughs> Senator, if we, can, uh, if we can look ahead for just a moment, uh, do you think your brother Teddy will one day be president? If he wants to uh, join me and where I'm going, I'd be glad to have him along. <laughs> correctly interpret what you've just said, uh, when would you like to be president? Now. Well, I think you know it can't be done that quickly. 1965, 1966? No, obviously you can't run for president until 1968. I don't think that's fair. (laughs) 
been rumored that you're carrying on a feud with the president. Now, of course, none of us happen to believe that. Didn't you pay him a visit just recently? A few days ago. Did you have a nice, friendly chat with the president? I showed up and he had guards to keep me out. <laughs> we understood, sir, that on a recent tour of the western United States, you visited Mount Rushmore. I did, yes. With the great heads of Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln carved into the mountainside. That's correct. And as you stood there gazing up at that monument, did any particular thoughts come to mind? I'd like to be a part of that. <laughs> Senator, many thanks for being with us this evening. Thank you very much. Incidentally, due to your heavy schedule, we almost took it upon ourselves to cancel this interview entirely. I would have been delighted. <laughs> Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Oh, the day they met Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila no one will forget Harvey's a CPA he works for IBM he went to MIT and got his Ph.D. Sheila's a girl I know at BBDNO. She works the PBX and makes out the checks. Then came one great day when Harvey took the elevator, Sheila got into floors later. Soon they both felt they were falling. Everyone heard Sheila calling. Ring the bell, but they fell. Harv and Sheila fell in love. Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila chose a wedding ring Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila married in the spring she shopped at A&P he bought a used MG they sat and watched TV on their RCA Borrowed from HFC, bought some AT&T And on election day, worked for JFK Then they went and got a charge of plate From R.H. Macy, bought a lay at Pink and Lacey Then they had twin baby girls, both with dimples, both with curls One named B, one named K Soon they joined the PTA. <laughs> Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila moved to West LA. Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila flew TWA. They bought a house one day, financed by FHA. It had a swimming pool full of H2O. 
traded their used MG for a new XKE switched to the GOP. That's the way things go. Oh, that Harvey, he was really smart. He used his noodle. Sheila bought a white French poodle. Went to Europe with a visa. Harvey's rich. They say that he's a VIP. This could be only in the USA. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! 